Welcome to Birth Mystics with your hosts, Stephanie and Katie. And a woman who held a babe against her bosom said, Speak to us of children. And he said, Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls. For their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you. For life goes not backward nor tarries with yesterday. You are the bows from which your children as living arrows are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with his might that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness. For even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves also the bow that is stable. That poem is called On Children, and it's from the collection The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. It has long been a favorite poem of mine, even before I had really entered the scene of birth work or become a mother. And it's really only taken on more meaning because of my own parenting journey and the work that I do in the birth community. I really want to explore what this poem is saying about the illusion of control, because I feel that that is a huge theme of parenting and therefore also birth, the, the catalyst that you know brings us into the parenting path. Um, Control is a big um, concept that we deal with as doulas. And one thing that I really love to teach my clients is that birth is teaching us to let go from the get-go. Essentially, birth is this powerful microcosm of what the parenting journey is going to bring about. And, And what I mean by that is is that we have nine months to basically learn how to let go. Mm. (laughs) And if we don't figure it out in the birth space, I think it sets us up for a harder time letting go as a parent. Now, one way that I see um, this really play out is in the transition stage. No, I'm sorry. That's more in labor. I meant to say third trimester um, because that's when... We start to deal with a lot of big emotions. We start to see our clients and, you know, Katie and I, we've felt this ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. In our own pregnancies where we are at the end of our rope. We feel like we have been nauseated, throwing up, sore muscles, aching back. Uncomfortable. Uncomfortable in every sense of the word. We probably haven't been sleeping well. So you start talking to a mom that's 37 weeks, 38 weeks, you're starting to see the fatigue, the exhaustion, sometimes even like mental health is just starting to suffer. 
low self-esteem, not feeling beautiful anymore. Like there's a lot of challenges psychologically that come into play in those last weeks of pregnancy. And so this is when the illusion of control becomes very, very enticing. And I would say why we are so susceptible and vulnerable to suggestion at that time. Mm. Um, This is where I see a really big spectrum of the illusion of control coming into play. So on one side, I would say we're dealing with an over-medicalized birth experience where the form of control is pretty aggressive. It's like, hey, we can solve all of your worry. We can end your waiting game. We can get your baby here. You don't have to wonder anymore if you're ever going to go into labor because you can just come in and we'll hook you up to, to this little IV or we'll insert these chemicals into your vagina to ripen your cervix and we'll get the baby here. And it's a form of induction. Now, I want to clarify, I am not speaking to medically necessary inductions, but I do want to speak to routine inductions that are not medically indicated Mm. because I feel that this is a way our modern society has really fallen fallen prey to the illusion of control. And um, we take advantage of a woman's vulnerability in all of these areas and tell her, you can actually be in control of your life. You didn't know it. You have felt so out of control all these nine months. And now your doctor is not only telling you that this is um, a possibility, but also preferred, you know, and Mm -hmm. they'll probably quote the ARRIVE study and tell you how 39 weeks is that magic number and let's get your baby here. Just show up at the hospital tomorrow night, right? Is this Unless it's a weekend, then don't come. Or if it's a like, don't a bother holiday. me on my weekend. <laughs> if it's a holiday, or if I have a golfing trip, right? That's like a good gauge of whether it's a necessary induction or not. Is if you they're yeah. like, you're like, how about Saturday? And they're like, mm, no, like let's do Monday. How about Monday? It's yeah. a really common induction day. Yeah, is a Monday. Yeah. Now this isn't just helpful to doctors, is it? Um, mm. Because you're hitting on some of that side of it, where this is. You, you can actually look up the dates that, where most babies are born. It's a really interesting gathering of statistics. And it's pretty shocking to see that the day before most national holidays are the highest rates of birth. Mm. And this is largely attributed to induction, routine induction. And many cesareans are also performed in the evening. Yeah, because it gets to the point where it's like, I don't want to be here all night, so... I'm ready to go home. I've been on my feet all day. Yeah, let's do this. Right. Yeah. So there are very clear benefits to the providers. Um, And then I kind of hit on some of the benefits to the one giving birth, such as not having to wait anymore, having a sense of control... Child care sometimes, Child things like that. Child care. Also, Convenience. A, a big one I hear is, oh, I could choose which midwife is going to be on call. Yes. And I really didn't like that other midwife, but I really liked this one. And if I go in on Tuesday morning, I know I will get that midwife that I really love. Yeah. Right? Um, so it's interesting that that has brought about a, a very over, in my opinion, over-medicalized birth culture to the point that it's actually changed the standard length of a birth, or sorry, of a pregnancy. Um, It used to be that 
full term was anywhere from 38 to 42 weeks, but that has steadily dropped and lowered as routine induction has become more and more prevalent. So 39 to 40 is considered full term. Um, And for a client to go into her 40th week of pregnancy, she starts to feel abnormal. She starts to feel on the outside range of what is healthy and expected. So then there starts to actually be legitimate fear and pressure being applied. You are late and you are threatening the safety of you or your baby, right? It's funny how you realize how we cling to like time and Mm -hmm. dates. My first baby, I went 10 days over. I just had like this list of things. I just like Mm. went at them Mm -hmm. and like put so much time and energy Mm -hmm. into trying to make this baby come. Interesting. Into trying to make labor start. Yeah. And it didn't. He was, (laughs) he took his own time. I think I started trying to make him right around like five days over Mm -hmm. and it took five more days for him to be born. Well, I was in labor for two and a half. Mm -hmm. Well, two days from like when it started to be stop and go to when I had a baby. So, but I remember my second baby was like, I'm not doing that again. That was like, just like this recipe of awful started there. Like the difficulty that first birth started with my due date and me feeling frustrated that I'm still pregnant with having so many people check in all the time. Like, Hey, did that baby yet? Have you had the baby? Are you in labor? Yeah. What's going on? Are you in the baby yet? And I'm just Mm -hmm. like, no, like mom, (laughs) I promise I'll tell you. And like, it just like welled up this impatience mm-hmm. and this need for like, how, oh, when's it going to happen? Like, mm-hmm. and you're in this weird limbo of like tomorrow I could either still be pregnant or not be pregnant. Like this twilight zone for days and days on end. Yeah. And it, cause it starts like people are like, Oh, babies can come as early as 37 weeks. It can be normal. So 37 weeks, your brain starts going a little bit of like any time now, which means you're like that for a month. Yeah. That's, that's not a, Easy place to inhabit. No, for a it was month. mentally a very, very, <laughs> it's a very challenging place to be. And and then here's another issue that I take with routine induction is that so often we are basing these inductions off of estimated due dates, mm. which are then based upon estimated conception dates. We don't always get that right. Yes. And in fact, You talk to a a really um, experienced IBCLC out in the Mm -hmm. field, and they will tell you how how often babies are born premature that were um, predicted to be overweight or to um, going past full term. And they can assess that by their oral development. And they say, you get that baby up to the breast, and I'll tell you if that's a 37-week baby, a 38-week baby, a 39-week baby, and they can tell by how that baby is suckling. Mm. And I've seen it over and over again where they're like, yeah, my client was told that her, um, that, you know, she thought she was at 39 and six or something and, and was induced. And then she delivered a little five pound baby that was suckling like a 37 week old baby. Mm -hmm. And so I, after enough of that, I, I, I do feel some frustration in this area that our society is supporting the illusion that we can actually control birth. And it's to our own, uh, what's the word? Our own detriment. Thank you. Because then we go into parenting thinking, oh, if I could control birth, it only naturally translates that I can control and direct the the way that I raise my children. I can control the humans that they turn into be. And I think that that's unfortunate. And and this this poem speaks to the 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 opposite of that, that we are not here 
as parents to raise a second generation of like mini me's that we are to impose our thoughts upon our children that that we're supposed to own who they are and what they think and and their identity but rather we are simply the portal through which these souls are coming onto this <clears throat> planet and Khalil Gibran just says we are to love them but not to think for them and and more to envision that we are an arrow or sorry a bow and our children are the arrows that are you know being sent from the bow and I, I heard an powerful. analogy lately that I think that's really powerful I heard an analogy lately that said um we've like paid the price for them to come onto the earth like we've paid the piper. <laughs> we've paid the piper. We've paid like it's like to say if you sign your child up for music lessons and you pay you pay them. You pay the person giving the music lessons, right? Mm-hmm. But we cannot make our children into musicians. They right. alone can do that through practice, through their choices, if they develop a passion for it. We can pay the music instructor. We can try and like make them practice. Yeah. But they will choose if they become a musician. We can provide the opportunities. Yes. We can foster the environment, mm-hmm. right? Yes. I agree with that. So I want to look at this from another angle. So I spent some time talking about the illusion of control through over-medicalization, but there is the other side of the spectrum that I think is maybe underexplored. And I call that the over-idealization of birth. And this form of control is not as aggressive, but definitely more passive, maybe more subtle, maybe even more hidden um, from our own consciousness. Because this is found, or when I hear the language of, I don't want any interventions. It will be at home. It, It has to be peaceful. I just don't want there to be any emergencies. I want this to be totally hands-off. Whenever I hear those types of phrases from clients that I'm working with, I understand where they're coming from. Oftentimes, it's in response to a, an over-medicalized birth experience. Mm-hmm. And so they're coming at it saying, I have to have the opposite. But really, underlying all of these phrases is still an illusion of control right? Oh yeah. You're still coming into birth thinking that you can dictate how it's going to unfold. And it, and it's paradoxical because there are things that are in your control as the one giving birth. I think you have control over how you prepare, over what foods you consume, over the movement that you incorporate into your lifestyle, over the postures that you're taking on moment to moment and day to day. Um, anything coming to mind for you, Katie, of things that are in our control? You can control your environment. I like you that. You can control the place you choose. Um, if you want to make your environment beautiful, you can control the people in most So situations. long as there are not financial restrictions, right? Yes. You can control who you get to work with and the mm-hmm. team that's well, around you. Well, even in the hospital, if you were to have a nurse that um, Good is point. being difficult, you can fire them. You still have the control to say... No, like you're not working out. Mm-hmm. Send, like in, to send in the send next person. Send you the person. charge nurse so I mm-hmm. can talk to her and get somebody else. Like, sorry, yeah. just the vibe. Like, it doesn't have right. to be a big reason, but if she's a detriment, if she's take, holding you back or mm-hmm. bringing energy into the space you don't like, you can fire them. Same with your provider. Yeah. You can, during pushing, 
fire your provider. Mm-hmm. Most people are like, what? You can do that? Like, of course, of you're course hiring you them. Can. You're paying them. Who's hiring who? And if they're not <laughs> doing the job that you want them to do, then you can ask for someone else to come in. Right. That is all. It's very difficult. I'm not saying it's easy to do those things. But within your power, absolutely, they are. That was very Yoda-like. Yes. Within your power, they are. Yes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I wanted to add a really big one that you definitely have control over is your response. Mm, um, this your gets, attitude. Yeah, this gets into like Stephen Covey and like Seven Habits, which was like high school or, you know, college mm. for me. And this idea that there's there's going to be a series of stimuli that happen throughout your birth. Um, and, and by stimuli, it can be circumstances. It can be, um, an intervention that may be required or a transfer to a new location. And though you cannot control the stimulus, you can control the response. And to me, that is one of the biggest reasons why birth is so transformative and why it's a path of self-development and teaching us how to become the parents that our children need, because we cannot control our children but we can certainly control our responses to our children, right? Yes. Um, now, with that spectrum, because we talked about the over-medicalized and then on the other end, the over-idealized, really, most birds that I'm a part of are a beautiful mixture, I would should even say like a messy little mixture of both of those, mm. where there usually is some measure of intervention, even if that's as simple as... Um, a vaginal exam is a form of an intervention, right? Yeah. Um, or something bigger like, yeah, we transferred from our home birth setting over to the hospital for a cesarean, right? That's a really big stimulus that came along. But does that mean that you also can't have a beautiful, sacred, tender, transformative birth experience? Uh, is, it, is it truly like one or the other? Are they mutually exclusive? No, I think the only way it becomes that way is if we make it that way. Yeah, if through we, our if, thinking. Yes, if we envision a certain thing, and that thing equals a good birth, that thing equals success. Right. I'm putting in all this work so I can have exactly this outcome. Right. <clears throat> and if we hold on to that so tightly with our controlly little hands, <laughs> then yes, of course it does set us up to say this is not transformative. This is not beautiful because I didn't get what I wanted. I didn't get what I wanted. Exactly. This is more about unmet expectations yes. than it is about the actual events that transpired. Mm-hmm. So from here, Katie, I want to, to then pose a question. And my question is, is it possible that the baby is also playing a role in the nature of their birth. Now, it's an open-ended question. I don't actually expect you to answer it (laughs) because we can't prove it. It's almost like saying, is there a God? Uh, You can neither prove nor disprove whether God exists, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel the same way about babies. We, We haven't had enough science that's able to analyze what is happening um, in utero and, and if there's any kind of cosmic um, underworkings where the baby gets to determine the moment and the day and the location of their birth, right? Mm-hmm. But it's certainly worth looking at because of how it can shift your mindset. And I'm very interested in putting energy into things that yield really good results, Okay, so whether, again, this is kind of moving away from empirical research and into just a what-if realm. Yeah. So think about um, 
one way you can look at this um, is sometimes with the gift of hindsight, you can look back at the births of your children and see not only that they were maybe distinct, that each birth kind of played out in its own unique way, but have you ever noticed that the nature of the birth experience was in a way a reflection of your baby's personality? Totally. Katie's nodding her head. <laughs> I tell my clients this all the time, and maybe some of them think I'm a weirdy woo-woo, but <laughs> it, for my kids, it's 100% the case. So uh, give my, us an example. So my first took a very long time, and he went the furthest over his due date. My first stayed in the exact same position my entire pregnancy. <laughs> From the moment they assessed position, he was L-O-A. Hmm. He was like, this is the way out. Better safe than sorry. Here's wow. where I'm chilling. And like, he did not leave that spot at and then, any exam. And then how do you see that playing out today in his personality? Oh, I was going to say, his birth took a very long time because okay. he does not like change. He does not like disruption of the way things are. Okay. He's very hesitant. Like, he wants to like know what's happening and he does not like when things get thrown, like get like thrown out of whack or when we, he hates spontaneity. Yeah. <laughs> he hates it. So like me being in labor for a very long time works like he like had to have that build up and he's better safe than sorry. Like I just like, if that's going to happen, I'm just going to get ready now. I'll put my shoes on. I know we're leaving for half an hour. Like I'll run around the house with the shoes on because we're about to go. <laughs> and that's his personality. And my second during pregnancy, I never knew where she was. She was hmm. all over the place. Hmm. She was breech for a hot minute, right around like 36 weeks. She was transverse for a minute. Wow. I'd go into my doctor and my doctor would be like, where is she? I'd be like, but you, you, you tell, tell me. me. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea where she is. Yeah. And her birth was lightning fast. She was born in two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. And that's her. Like, she's just like, can I try it? She's my defiant child. Like, I'll mm. do it how I want to do it. And I'll sit in your stomach where I want to sit in your stomach. Like, <laughs> I don't care how uncomfortable you are with it. This yeah. is me. And she's also very, like, dive in before thinking. Like, she just is my one that if someone dies of a physical experience, that I think she just, does, she just doesn't care about safety. Like, right. she's just, that's very her personality. It's just quick. And my mm -hmm. third, I had the, just such a level pregnancy. Just so, everything was so just like, this is how, it, she, she hung out posterior because I think she just wanted to be closer to me yeah <laughs> like she wanted her back to be against me and mm -hmm. she's been my clingiest child like not clingy but like the most mama child that I've had and her birth was also just like the gentle like I had like a nice early labor and then just so really smooth and she's just very even keeled mm -hmm. and um agreeable in most ways like she gets she has some sass but yeah like she's a toddler now so like that's unavoidable <laughs> but in general I feel like that was a hundred percent true for me I yeah. love trying to help people be aware that that is really often a thing and I was gonna say you're saying do babies play a role my second my my dive-in child um my husband arrived after I'd been in labor, it was um, kind of a long backstory, but he didn't get there for a bit. I was about two hours after contraction started, he got there. And maybe a little over two hours. And he walks in and starts to tell me about his day, because um, he doesn't realize I'm as far as I am. Okay. And I felt her kick off of my ribs and mm. descend into my pelvis. Wow. Like, I felt this full, like, stretching. I had to move my body back, and I felt her propel off. And do a twist into my pelvis. Oh like I've never gosh. felt such an intense physical sensation, but it was undeniable that that's exactly what was happening. And she's in my like, body. "Daddy, I like, hear dad's you, here, and you I'm let's coming." Go. Like, oh my I see Dad's here now. I'm ready. Wow. And she was born like 20 minutes later. 
Wow. And it was like, she did that. Mm-hmm. I did nothing for that. Mm-hmm. It was fully her feet and her head, and she pushed herself <laughs> down quickly into my pelvis. It was a really weird sensation. Mm. But that, for me, was a really cool experience. Just like, she knew what was going on. Yeah. She knew where she had to go, <laughs> and she took control. Like, she was like, okay, let's do this now, Mom. That's really Stop cool. breathing. I'm coming. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I've got it from here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, thank you for sharing those. Um, so I'll throw in a couple of mine too. Yay! My first was also my longest, which is not uncommon. Like a lot of first babies take the longest, but interesting that oldest children are often, we, we put a lot more responsibility on them and, and sometimes more rules and restrictions. And, and I think it's interesting that just to compare the dynamics of what older children are often experiencing to longer labors. I think there's interesting parallels there. Mm. Um, but hers was definitely my longest, about 20 hours, 19 or 20 hours. And I look at my daughter and she is a very thoughtful, very, she wants to take a pulse of the room before she's going to engage. She wants to feel the temperature of the water before she's going to get in. She'll, she'll definitely dip her toe and then maybe her ankle and slowly work into the water and not a big risk taker, not an adventure seeker. She, she's a very cautious and thoughtful person. And I saw not only my labor timeline play out that way, but even the, the emotions that I felt about my birth, I don't know that I can explain it, but I do feel like what if I really was picking up on a lot of my daughter's energy that I was feeling very trepidatious about the whole labor experience. And Mm. I'm a very adventurous person Mm. and I'm not really easily daunted by jumping into the deep end, but in that birth experience, boy, oh boy, I felt very much like my daughter feels Mm. about life. You know, that's cool. With my second and my fourth, I felt like they were probably my, smoothest deliveries. My second was 12 hours and my fourth was about, um, I think seven or eight hours, but I would just say like no hiccups. So smooth. Um, they, I felt like they were really good lengths because they gave me enough time to like wrap my head around what was happening, but it didn't go on and on. Mm -hmm. And both my second and my fourth boys are just the most easygoing. Um, they, they just make life really smooth and simple. Um, then my third was distinctly different with two weeks of prodromal labor. And then when he did come, it was in, uh, like you said, I think it was around two and a half hours for mine as well. And his personality is definitely more like your daughter. He's Mm -hmm. the adventurer. He's going to just jump off the diving board into the deep end before he even knows if he can swim. Um, I even think about his prodromal labor a lot because I study astrology and he is, he was born on the spring equinox. And so he is a Pisces to the day. And I just think about his little personality, like, I want to be born. I'm going to get it going. No, I want to be a Pisces. So I'm sorry. I have it backwards. He's an Aries to the day. So what I mean is I was experiencing prodromal labor through that season of Pisces. And I just think, his little personality is just like revving up to go, but he's like, no, I really want to be an Aries. Revving up to go? No, I'm going to hang on. You know, I don't know. I'm just like <laughs> making up dialogue. But yeah. But his little spunky personality, um, when he did finally have that go ahead, it was like coming right down the slip and slide. You know, mm-hmm. it was a very swift and powerful birth. I would call that birth intense. And my son is very intense. Yes. 
so these are these are just really fun anecdotes. And yeah. I, I really encourage you to really spend some time like pondering over your past birthing experiences and see if there's any fun correlations that can reveal itself. But here's another angle to think about your children's births. Uh, also, along with their nature being expressed, I, I do find a lot of value in thinking about your children's birth experience as an, an expression of their life path. And so what that means is, are you willing to accept that the way that your child came to this earth potentially has significant meaning for them? I know that when we are the one giving birth, we would like to think that this is all my story and my birth experience. But I really invite you to just open up the ownership of that and allow your baby to be part of this story, to be a co-author of their own birth story. And with that, recognize that the, in my opinion, really good stories are not perfect stories. Really good stories are often quite messy. Mm. Sometimes they're even broken. But from those powerful beginnings begets an entire human life. Think about the classic example of the muddy pond from which the beautiful lotus flower blooms. Like this is the heart and soul of Buddhism. We are not meant to be born out of perfection, right? We, we are born into this mortal experience and from the get-go, it's messy. And I hope that this can free you up to, in a way, get out of the way of your baby's birth story being written. Because yes, you do play a very big role. And just like that list that Katie and I gave of, of the ways that you are in control and how you prepare and in your emotional response and in the team that you assemble, please do all of those things. Take advantage of what is in your control and do those things. Eat well. Um, educate yourself and, and have an amazing team to support you. And then when you've done those things, get out of the way and, and open yourself to the possibility that your baby is co-authoring their unique story. You may not know, um, in your entire lifetime, you may not fully know why the way that they were born was significant to their development. But I would like to hold out a lot of hope that there is significance to, to that unique combination of factors. I think that um, thinking about your own birth story can be powerful in this context. Yes. Like if you haven't, which like I didn't know my birth story, much of it, until I was pregnant with my second when I was like, mom, like tell me tell me what my birth was like. And she fished out her journal and she was an avid journal keeper. And I read about that day and, um, it was really beautiful for me just to kind of say, okay, this was my entrance into the world. And to think, just to kind of ponder on what that meant. And I definitely drew some knowledge for me of like, oh yeah, that's classic Katie. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> like she got induced and her body did not want to have a baby. She was 10 days over and it went very long and ended in um, a forceps delivery. Wow. And I am very, very stubborn. Like, <laughs> that's, 
I don't want to do things when I don't want to do things. Like that's part of my personality. And I think that I was resisting this and like that speaks to, because I myself, this is powerful for me. And that's one of the reasons birth has changed my life is because I realized that I had control issues. I thought I was like, I'm adventurous. I'm not that, like I'm pretty easygoing and I'm strong and I'm awesome. But after realizing a lot of like, oh, I do have these control issues Mm. um, that definitely played a big role in my own birth. And to see how my first birth kind of echoed a lot of my own birth because I had not healed some of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was also just beautiful to see like, no, I think I didn't want to come. Yeah. My, but my mom's body might've let me come sooner, but I did not want to come yet. Yeah. I was not, I had not had my time. I was Mm. not willing and I held back. And so that can be a beautiful way to kind of step and remind yourself how powerful the role of your baby can be Mm. and how central they, it's like, it's their birth, right? You are the birth giver. Yeah. And it can be transformative to give birth to another human, but they're the one being born. Yes. Share the, the floor with them, you mm-hmm. know, and, and open up space for them to have a say too. I'm really glad you took it this direction because I I wasn't sure that I was going to, that it would go, the conversation would go here, but I absolutely have my own personal experience of that too. And thank you for sharing what you did. I love knowing this about you and, and the context of your birth. You know even more now that I'm stubborn. I do. Like, I like, like, oh, let me emphasize from, again. From like how the get-go, I you were stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, um, when I was a teenager, I was having kind of unexplainable episodes at school. I now have language to describe it as like a panic attack. At the mm. time, we didn't quite know what to call them. But it was coming from this deep-seated belief that I was not wanted, that I was in a room full of people. And one experience in particular that I remember was when a a teacher was taking role, and for whatever reason, she didn't say my name. And I completely felt so invisible, and I thought that I was going to disappear, like, and, and it turned into like, like a, a black hole. Exactly. Like I was getting sucked <laughs> into a vortex mm-hmm. and I would disappear and nobody would even know, you know, that's how deeply I felt that I was out of place, out of place. And so after enough of these episodes, which usually left me feeling so shaken and, and hysterical and just coming to my mom in kind of a panic and she started to, she must have made some connection. And at at one point she said, Steph, I I really want to tell you your birth story. And I was like, I think I know my birth story. She's like, no, I haven't told you all of the details. And, and she, she proceeded to share some details that, um, I, I would say not every mother would want to just share this with her daughter, but I also think that she felt pretty strongly that it would help me. Um, and I love that she was sensitive and didn't share this with me when I was like a young child, but I was yeah. probably like 15 or 16 when we had this conversation. But she was able to share that, first of all, when my sister before me was born, she not only delivered my sister, but also her uterus, and it completely came out of her body. And so the doctors wanted to give her a hysterectomy because that was very risky to put it back in there and like risk her getting pregnant again. But my mom was just like, I am not prepared to make that decision right now. So put it back in and then I'll decide later. So they did that. And they just said, you must get on 
birth control because if you conceive, like, we just, it sounds so risky for you. So she was on two forms of birth control. And, and on top of that, it, during that time in, in my parents' marriage, my mom said that she had not been intimate with my dad. They, um, they are since divorced and had a very rocky marriage. And I knew that at that time, so I was not surprised by these details. And uh, for her to remember the day that I was conceived is significant because she said that it was a non-consensual experience. And she said that she knew the moment that she conceived me, and that had never happened with the other kids, but she just said, I knew I was pregnant. And she was devastated. She said she just fell into depression. She said her marriage was on the rocks. She already had four young children. She just was in a form of a midlife crisis. And to think about having another baby, not just because of like the physical health risks, but more the emotional um, was just a lot for her. And then she could hold me in her arms at that time and say to me, but Stephanie, when I gave birth to you nine months later, I wanted you and I knew that you were meant to be in my family, but it took me nine months to wrap my head and my heart around this pregnancy. But she said, it is true that you were not wanted at one time. And I grieve that there's the possibility that you perceived that, that maybe your sweet little soul, as I was just, as you were gestating within me, might have picked up on my intense emotions, you know? And it's like, there's a lot of research now that show yeah. that a woman's emotions are closely connected yeah. with her baby. I Not think to interrupt your a, beautiful story. A, no, please. Like, I think there really is a profound emotional imprint, right? Yeah. Um, I just have to say that I burst into tears and not from a place of pain, but from a place of validation. And it really was a turning point in my teenage years. And my panic attacks started getting milder and milder. And I also was doing different forms of of therapy as well. But I know for a fact that my birth story, I say for a fact, it's not a fact. I know just from personal belief and and my um, choice to, to invest energy into this story that my birth story was a big part of what I've come here to learn. You know, it's like, for whatever reason, I was born into a very murky pond and I am choosing to, to bloom from that. I'm choosing to be a lotus that's like, I deserve to be on this planet. I can stake my claim here. I can belong. I can have sovereignty. I can be my own person. Yes. And I'm really grateful for my messy birth story. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, no, not at all. I think that's powerful. Yeah. And anyone who is coming to terms with their own messy birth story or a a very difficult birth of one of your children, this is the space that you can begin your integration and your healing and your recovery of making peace with that story. But I do want to wrap it up today by leaving you with the slightly altered words of the wise wizard Gandalf. (laughs) He said, a baby is never late, nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to.
Thank you for joining us as we step into darkness, knowing we will find light.